Well, good morning. Good morning to those who are here with us, and good morning to those who are online with us. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. He's worth everything. This Christian life is a tough, uh, tough thing. Uh, I've got a chance to get away with my family this week and uh, a time to reflect and really time to grow together. And I've just been pondering, uh, why is this Christian life so hard? Why is it so difficult? And um, I, I think it's because we don't list, live by a list of shoulds, and we don't have a one, two, three, now I've arrived. But it's built entirely on a love-trust relationship with Christ. It's a heart issue. And the question I have for today is, how would you know if you have a hard heart or a soft heart to God? How would you know? You can't trust your own, own, uh, your own assessment. Uh, man is pretty much naturally deceitful. We know that to be true. And I know it by every middle-aged man in this room, including myself, when you look in the mirror, you don't see what's really there. You see something fundamentally better than what's really there. Our own ability to assess ourselves, is not, it's not good. You can't go by feelings about your heart for God because your feelings are an emotional roller coaster. Some of us have experienced that. You can't even go by what people say because you can trick people. We trick people. We can make ourselves look good, but this Christian life is about a heart thing with the Lord. Today we're going to be talking about symptoms of a hard heart. It's very difficult to discern in a crazy world, weird governmental issues, world crisis is going on around. But I find that many Christians are keenly aware that we are in a spiritual battle. How many of you all are realizing that we're in Ephesians 6 spiritual battle in the house here? Okay. If you're saying, wow, Seth, I'm not really sure what you mean as far as the spiritual battle, kind of the, the contrast of the physical world and the spiritual world. Um, if you've been to a funeral recently, you'll know that when you go and view the body laying there, many times you've probably thought, that's not really them. And that thought, that's not really them, is a true thought because that's their physical body, but something is missing And it's their eternal aspect, their spirit, that's missing. And today, um, I want to get your mind moving, so I'm going to pose a question to you all, just to kind of get you engaged. So if you're a morning person, this is going to be for you. Here you go. Are you a physical being having a spiritual experience through life? Are you a spiritual being having a physical experience through life? Think that through. Are you a physical being having a spiritual experience through life? Or are you a spiritual being having a physical experience through life? If you're not sure, which reality of yours is eternal? I believe that we are spiritual beings having a physical experience. And every physical experience is designed by our maker to point us to the reality so that we might come to know him more for eternity. 
Every physical experience is designed by our maker so that we might come to know him more personally for eternity. So, yes, you do have a physical body. It's a real, it's real and it's a gift from the Lord. And 1 Corinthians 15 says that when we die, actually in the end, he will raise us up. And your life, your spiritual life is equally as real as your physical body. And it's what connects us to the maker. But I want you to think about your life for a minute. So often we approach life as a physical body, trying to organize our physical experiences, and then trying to control circumstances. And while we're on this journey, we try to turn our attention to the spiritual realm, not usually doing very good at it. Let's face the facts. Most of us wake up thinking in the physical realm. We go about our day thinking about the physical realm. And there's just little touch points where we're like, oh yeah, God, you're there. Oh yeah, God. So oftentimes we go on trying to control circumstances. We try to control ourselves. We try to control others just to get through life. And the result? Little fruit. Anything that resembles the love, joy, and peace that God designed for us. So before we get into our text today, just think through 2020. It's one physical hurdle after another. One thing that I don't like after another. I'm just being honest with you. Most of us are probably feeling some level of this, of like, wow, there's just one thing after another. How many of us have stopped, pulled back, and asked this, what is God teaching me about himself through all this? Hebrews says the Lord disciplines those he loves. So since that's true, what is God teaching me through this discipline in my life? Or how does God want to use me for his eternal glory to impact those around me? Or have you just tried to control and adjust to one physical experience after another? Today, we're going to be talking about symptoms of a hard heart, and you'll see how our physical circumstances are meant to point to spiritual realities. And we're going to be talking about how a hard heart will cause you to only see the physical aspects of life, and you'll ignore the spiritual realities, spiritual realities taking place around you. We're going to be looking in Mark chapter 6. Have you ever realized that your physical experiences are pointing you to spiritual realities. I hope you have. Because God's point in all our lives is to take those physical things and point them to eternal spiritual realities. And those realities, if you believe them, are intended to impact your daily physical decisions. So in the text today in Mark chapter 6, Christ the Messiah is seeking to reveal who he is to his disciples, and he's still actively seeking to reveal himself today through the world. We see it through circumstances, we see it through creation, and we see it through his word. We're going to be looking at the whole chapter, and it's going to be, feel like there's seemingly disconnected accounts from the life of Christ. We're going to be looking at how Jesus was not honored in his home country or his hometown. We're going to see how he sends out his uh, 12 disciples on a ministry trip. We'll see how John the Baptist gets beheaded, Jesus feeds the 5,000, and he walks on water. And you may be thinking to yourself, how are these connected? But when you read them in context with each other, 
you see the point of which God's trying to make to us as we read this. So today, as we read, I want to encourage you to ask this question, God, what are you revealing to me today spiritually about the physical circumstances in my life? So let's pray, asking God for help as we go through this, and then uh, we'll continue just marching right down through the text. Lord, uh, we thank you for your word. Lord, um, the temptation to only think in the physical realm and not to turn our gaze heavenward, um, it's a real temptation, Lord. We thank you for the power of your word and how it changes the way we think. It corrects us, it rebukes us, it disciplines us, and so we thank you for it. May we, um, may we walk out of here with an eternal perspective. Thank you for all you've done for us and our doing in us through these circumstances today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to see, we're going to start off section by section, and you'll see this in verses 1 through 6, as Jesus' friends and relatives in their hometown, they were blinded by the physical We're going to see in verses 1 through 6, a hard heart sees only the physical circumstances and ignores the spiritual realities taking place right in front of you. Let's read verses 1 through 6. Now Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the disciples came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are the remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And the brothers of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in their own towns, among their relatives and in their own homes are prophets without honor. He could do, uh, not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Now we see in his hometown, his friends and relatives were blinded by the physical. They did not believe him to be God. They didn't recognize him to be the Messiah, the promised Savior. And they only saw the physical. And if you look down in verses 2 and 3, they put together their perceived physical facts about the origins of Jesus. Isn't he the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this his brothers and his sisters? And as a result of just stacking up the physical that they could see, they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. Have you ever thought you would like to be in the presence of Jesus back when he was here 2,000 years ago? I know the nation of Israel was looking forward to the Messiah, but this hometown area stacked up the physical, and as a result, they missed him. And the result here is that, verse 5, he could not do much physical healing or miracles. Now, what do we know about this, what the scriptures teach about the nature of Jesus? We know in Matthew, or Matthew 1, it says he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, so we know he had a miraculous conception. We know that in Philippians 2, that he was the very nature God. That's what it says. And we also know in John chapter 1 that he was, was with God in the beginning and he is and was God. 
So we know, we have the luxury of seeing the whole of the New Testament and seeing the very nature of Jesus established. But they looked at the physical circumstances and they missed it. And as a result, there was not much healing, but also there was an amazement factor. Look at verse 6. It says, he was amazed at their lack of faith. Now, there's many things that I would love Jesus to be amazed about in my life. That is not a compliment. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Friends, when we stack up physical circumstances and let those things drive our decisions and our thoughts and our values, we have the potential of being amazed by Jesus at our lack of faith. I want to warn you, as the people in his hometown, do not let physical circumstances dictate your view of things. We'll see in verses 7 to 13, a soft heart will prioritize spiritual realities, even if the physical comforts aren't there. You'll experience God as provider and bless the world in the process. So we'll see in verses 7 to 13 that Jesus teaches his disciples that ministry, spiritual activity, it does have an impact on the physical. Let's pick it up, verse 7. Then Jesus went, or end of verse 6. Then Jesus uh, went around teaching from village to village, calling to the 12 12 to him. He began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear, uh, wear sandals, but no extra shirt. Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. If any of you place, or if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So, here Jesus is sending them out to let the spiritual impact the physical. And even though this is a spiritual activity and event here, it dances in a very special way with the physical and has a huge effect on the physical. And if you, as you look at this, Jesus sends them out to do spiritual battle with nothing physical for resources. Their spiritual battle is played out physically But on a very basic note, he said, don't plan dinner tonight, guys. Don't bring an extra shirt. When we go on vacation or on a trip, it's a big deal planning ahead, packing everything that's supposed to be in the vehicle. And I don't care what kind of vehicle I have, it always seems to ride like this when we load up as a family. He says, don't pack up anything, don't plan dinner, and don't even plan where you're staying He says, I want to encourage you with this. Can you trust God to provide? Verses 12 to 13, they preached repentance, the same message that Jesus and John the Baptist were preaching. They healed the sick and they drove out demons. But the question I have is, what did they learn about Christ, the Messiah? They learned firsthand what Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, but seek first my kingdom, and my righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Do not worry what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. For your Father in heaven knows what you need them. 
So friends, they learned firsthand that a soft heart seeks God's kingdom first. And they could see and experience that God was their provider. But their real choice in front of them was, where they put God's kingdom first? They had a choice not to let the trivial things or smaller things dictate their decisions. And uh, to not let their cultural values, you know, the Jewish uh, uh, the Jewish people had strong cultural values. And uh, Jesus is saying, following me and trusting me is stronger and more important than even the cultural values that you own. And as a result, there were three benefits that the disciples got. They experienced God as their provider. They grew spiritually. And God was able to use them and work through them. If you've ever experienced God working through you, it is such an encouraging thing to be used by God. To be used by anybody else, not so great. To be used by God, that is fantastic. But there were three benefits to others as well. Hearts were prepared for the Messiah. Repent. Change the way you think. Prepare the way. Demons were cast out. And the sick were healed. And as you see... A spiritually soft heart to God will cause you to live out of the spiritual realities, even if the comforts aren't there. You'll experience God as a provider, and you will bless the world in the process. Now, too often, we as Christians live out of a hard heart by focusing on the physical reality of the world. And we live just like the world. The result is no spiritual impact, no spiritual fruit. So questions I have for you is this. We all have the same physical experiences of going around us. How are you deciding differently than the world around you? Because the unbelieving world learns of the spiritual reality when believers trust and follow God by faith and not by sight. So we maintain a soft heart of focusing on what God's doing spiritually, and that's how we actually keep a heart that's soft to God. It's not living by sight, but living by faith. We'll go on to see in verses 14 to 16. A hard heart will be driven by sensual desires or my own personal desires and a fear of looking bad. Anybody else not want to look bad? Yeah, me, yeah. The result is physical pain to others and distance from God. So we're going to see in verses 14 to 16 that Herod, the king here, he acknowledged, but then he ignored the spiritual reality as he wrestled with who Jesus was. Look at verse 14. Now King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, and still others claimed he's a prophet like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. So in verses 14 to 15, King Herod acknowledged the physical reality of the fame of Jesus. But as he wrestled with who Jesus really was, a resurrection of the dead was a plausible explanation. And in the text here, some people were considering him to be John the Baptist raised from the dead. Others were considering him to be the Old Testament Elijah that was in power. 
Others said, yeah, he's like one of the Old Testament prophets. But in verse 16, Herod concluded that John the Baptist did come back from the dead, and it appears that Herod was thoroughly terrified. One thing is very clear is that Herod was fully convinced that physical sin leads to spiritual consequences. He actually understood that murdering John the Baptist would come back to haunt him. Now, verses 17 to 28 is really a parenthesis in the account and explains why he murdered John the Baptist. And uh, Herod, just for sake of time, I just want to summarize it, but Herod, who was dominated by his own desires, specifically his own sensual desires, he stole his brother's wife. Her name was Herodias. John the Baptist spoke out against it and said, Herod, this is against the Jewish law. And unlike any other Jewish uh, mother, no Jewish mother would encourage this, Herodias had her daughter, Salome, actually dance for Herod and his guests. And when I say dance, this was not choreography. This was really inappropriate dancing. And it says that she so pleased the men that Herod, in the, in the presence of everybody, said, I like it so much, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And the daughter and her mother conspire and say, we hate John the Baptist. And as a result, they ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. Verse 20, though, Herod captures his understanding and his value. It says, Herod feared John and protected him, knowing to be him to be a righteous and a holy man. But instead of letting the spiritual reality dictate his decisions, Herod, driven by his sensual desires and his fear of letting people down around him, people-pleasing, he had John murdered. That's what a hard heart will do. It'll cause you to be driven by your own personal ambition, your own desires, and the fear of looking bad. I want to encourage you to think this through about the amount of pain that he caused. Not just others, like outside of his family, but think about the betrayal from a brother to a brother. Think about that. He destroyed his own family. He destroyed John. Jesus was John's cousin. Think about the pain that your cousin was just beheaded. Think about the extended family. And friends, as we have a hard heart and as we are driven by our own personal ambitions and sinful desires, we hurt people in the process. He was led by his own personal desires. Today, I want to warn you as our church family, we don't have the luxury of our personal desires when we said yes to Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Friends, it's so ingrained in us as Americans, my personal freedom, me, me, me. And I want to warn you that as believers in Christ, to help renew your mind to what what the Bible teaches, Jesus Christ died and he rose again to pay for our sins. But there is a call for every believer to die. Deny themselves, take up the cross, and lift up King Jesus. So as a follower of Christ, are you being led by your own sensual desires? Are you being led by fear of others? 
If you are, you're causing pain to others and you're missing out on the spiritual blessing of following Christ. And this leads to a hard heart. We'll see in verses 29 to 44, we're going to capture verse 29 and 44 into 45 and on. And we typically, in our childhood, you know, like our Sunday schools and things like here, we take these accounts as separate. But I think God revealed these to us together, and you're going to see why, that Jesus feeds the 5,000 and Jesus walks on water, and why these two accounts are put back to back. We can see in verses 29 to 44 that a hard heart focuses only on the physical provision and not the provider himself. Jesus is our provider and is not dependent on physical circumstances to do so. Let's pick it up in verses 30, uh, uh, 29. On hearing this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in the tomb. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not ha- even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So we see here that in verse 31 that Jesus the Messiah says, Come with me to a quiet place. And you'll notice in the ministry of Jesus that when the crowd gets noisy, when life gets hectic, that he invites them into a more personal time. And the Messiah here is seeking to be with his followers. And as Hebrews 13 says, Jesus has not changed. He's been the same yesterday, today, and forever. He values relationships, and he has not changed. He is still seeking followers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. His name is still Emmanuel, and it still means God with us. So let's pick it up. Verse 32, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now by this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would almost take a, a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they had five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish, the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. So as we oftentimes hear in our children's programs, we oftentimes hear this and we focus on just the miraculous provision. There's so much more going on spiritually than what we just see physically. So Jesus intends to find a quiet place and the crowd followed him. 
And you'll notice that his, uh, his compassion on the people was driven by their spiritual need. Because if he just focused on the physical, he would be frustrated that the crowd was following him. It says in verse 34 that he saw the crowd going through life without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd are vulnerable, deceived, and lack direction. The Bible describes us as sheep in need of the great shepherd. Friends, as pastors, we have found more of our church family who are disconnected from the body struggling because God designed sheep to be in a fold and have shepherds and to be under the great shepherd and under the teaching of God's word. But as we interact with people in our life, as we look at what's going on in our country, as we see people swimming out on the deep end, reaching for anything but the Bible, are we disgusted? Are we judgmental? Are we fearful? Or do we see them as sheep without a shepherd? Friends, Jesus the Messiah saw that their greatest need was for him to be their shepherd. That's still the case today. People's greatest need is the shepherd himself. I want you to ponder for a moment, where would you be without the shepherd? Where'd you be? Jesus said in John 4, 35, he says, I tell you, open your eyes, look on the fields, for they are ripe and ready for harvest. Friends, we live in a society that people need the Lord. As the world has great physical need, there is tremendous spiritual opportunities. I want to ask you this question. What are you doing to introduce your friends and neighbors to Christ? Do you know why they're your friends? To introduce them to the great shepherd. And here we see in verse 34 that he had compassion on them as a, uh, because they were like a sheep without a shepherd, so he began teaching them. And we see that he first addresses their spiritual need as a shepherd. Then he goes on to meet the physical need to point to the spiritual reality. So God knows that we actually function in a physical world and that they were hungry. And he used the physical to point to the spiritual reality. Now, in verse 41, before he does the miracle, he acknowledges God as the provider of all things. But I want to encourage you, and the point that we see in this section of Scripture is a hard heart will cause you to focus only on the physical provision and not the provider himself. And God's physical provision for us is not primarily about physical provision. His physical provision is intended to point to spiritual realities about his character that can be trusted. Now, if you watch Jesus do this miracle, would you trust him through anything? Would you? If you watch this thing happen, I would think so. And I, I asked this question about myself. I, I think I would. But then as I began studying the text, as long as I focused on the food and the miracle of the food, I don't think I would. As long as I focused on him as the one who can do anything and has the power over anything and is the one who is my provider, the next time there's a gap in my need, 
I can just comfortably say, I'm with him. It's going to be fine. We're going to go on to see in verses 45 to 52 that a hard heart is driven in fear as you focus on the physical instead of the spiritual. As we look at verse 45, a physical crisis, our physical crisis are meant to cause us to take security in Christ himself, not in the physical things that we have. It says in verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to, went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw, they all saw him and were terrified. Now immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. Check this out. For they had not understood about the loaves. Hearts were hardened. Did you catch that? The writer here throws us back to the prior story. Their hearts were hardened. In verse 46, because the crowd interrupted this personal retreat, and Jesus realized that prayer and time with the Father was of greatest importance, he prioritized that reality, sent his guys out into the boat, and he went up and prayed. Now in verse 48, it casually mentions that Jesus was walking on water. It just assumes that the maker who made water can walk on it when he wants to, right? And uh, this is a special experience here. And I see this very clearly in the text. I want to draw your attention to the fact that Jesus was seeking to reveal his eternal majesty in this moment. Now, he went up on a mountainside to pray. He saw them straining at the oars. And in verse uh, 48... It says, he saw his disciples straining because the wind was against them. Shortly before uh, dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. And it says, he was about to pass by them. Now, this text is really, I, I really think it's a strong uh, throwback to two things. There are two people in the Old Testament that saw the glory of God. But the Bible says nobody can see God the Father and live. It is two people, Moses and Elijah. And as a result of these people being with God, he said, I'm going to pass by so that you may see my glory. And as a result, Moses' face shone. It glowed. It actually glowed like a glow stick. It glowed. Jesus says here, it says he's going to pass by and reveal himself and his power over the water. In verses 49 and 50, their fear blinded their ability to see him as Jesus. They all saw him. None of them recognized him. And their fear only allowed them to see a ghost. Fear of the physical always will blind us from the spiritual reality in front of us. And I would say this, friends. If you have fear going on in your life, in your decision-making, 
you're missing out on what God is doing spiritually around you. Now, the shepherd demands that they take courage and not be afraid. And probably your text says, it is I. He says, take courage, it is I. It is literally, I am. Did you guys catch that? It is literally, I am. It's a reference to the Exodus 13, where Jesus repeats how God reveals himself to Moses. And they knew their shepherd's voice, and he calmed them while revealing his absolute deity here. And Jesus revealed his power over creation, the water, that he was the almighty creator. And notice what it says that they were still stuck on. They were completely amazed, verse 52, for they had not understood about the loaves. Friends, they were still stuck on the physical. They watched God do a miracle. They failed to see him as the supreme provider, the one over all creation, the one they could love and trust. They were still stuck on the free lunch and the miracle. They were amazed at the provision instead of the provider. The physical provision of food was meant to point to the character of the God-man, Jesus Christ. And God's miraculous provision was meant to point to a greater spiritual reality to build their love and trust of Jesus the Messiah. Why were they still confused about the bread? What's it say? Their hearts were hardened. Now I started our time here asking this question is how would you know if your heart is hard? Well here we see a hard heart is driven in fear as you focus on the physical. The feeding of the 5,000 was meant to drive them to trust the shepherd. The walking on water was a physical crisis to expose that they weren't truly uh, spiritually soft to the Lord but they were looking at the physical. And God's point in all of our lives, guys, is to take the physical experiences and point them to the spiritual realities that he wants us to trust him more now and forever. You guys realize we're headed for eternity, right? You heard that last week. And the text today revealed about God, about Jesus, that he is the God-man who provides from his hand. He has compassion on those who are lost from him. He is relationally, draws people in. He's got power over all creation, and he seeks followers who will trust him in any life circumstance. And all of these circumstances were stacked up to invite them to love, trust, and follow their Savior. Our physical crisis, friends, the miraculous ways that God works in our life are to point to the greater spiritual realities. And as Jesus said, do not be afraid, I say to you as my friends in our church family, assessing the physical circumstances and living in fear is a way of the world. And if we only interpret and act on physical information or data, we behave like unbelievers. This might be my biggest concern today because as believers in Christ, we are called out ones. 
not to be driven by the visible, physical circumstances. Is there any noticeable way, the way you behave or respond to physical circumstances? Because believers and unbelievers alike face the same crud. Let's just say it. People who know Jesus are not exempt from the crud going on in the world. Those who don't know and trust their Savior can only assess the physical circumstances, seek to control them, and the best they get out of life is coping. Those who know the Savior through faith in Jesus, they're called to move beyond the physical and see that God is stacking the physical so that they will trust him more. Friends, we are eternal beings. We are spiritual beings living a physical experience. And I want to encourage you with this. If you're up to here in physical circumstances, I want to encourage you to turn your gaze upward and today ask the Lord, what are you doing in my life that I can love and trust you more? And there's a final warning. You guys will see this in your outline there. That if we don't cooperate with God on this and we operate only on the physical realities, our hearts will get harder and harder. The mature Christian actively seeks to discover what Jesus the shepherd is spiritually doing in them through the physical circumstances of our lives. So today, I believe God wants us to take that and see this, that our physical things in life are ordained by God to point us to him. Um, Friday, we just came uh, back on a 20-hour car ride. Uh, Friday, yeah, two days ago. My, that's how confused my mind is right now. A uh, 20-hour car ride. We took a family trip, and uh, God was doing so much more than just taking a family trip. God was orchestrating physical events for a spiritual purpose in our life. Uh, we were planning to take a trip back in May, and for obvious reasons, that got canceled. And the opportunity came up just a couple weeks ago for us to take this family trip. And about a week out, I thought to myself, I have a 17-year-old. Time is short. Who knows if he's going to take any more trips with us. We're going to go by the Creation Museum. And so our family went to the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter along the way. And let me just say this. If you have not been there, it is worth every penny to invest in that experience for yourself. I don't care what age you are. It is not for children. It is for children only. Children. But it's also for every adult that's hearing my voice. I was so encouraged to just, when I pulled up, to see all these license plates from all over the country. People all coming together to hear and firm up their faith from God's word. It is so cool, so well done, and I want to encourage you to check that out. It built our family, and uh, while I was there, my spiritual antennas were up, for sure, right? But the next morning, after we got done with both of those days, uh, we got up at five in the morning, my spiritual antenna went down, and my physical antenna went up, because we had a 13-hour car ride with seven people, right? And so it's all a business just trying to get down to our hotel. And uh, we, on Saturday and Sunday, spent some time on some beaches. I heard Nate, my brother, preach last week. What a fantastic reminder about this earth, is, this world is not our home, right? And uh, on Monday, it was a rainy day, so we decided to do a little shopping at the outlet places. And we walk into TJ Maxx. 
And the gal there says, oh, you guys, she could hear our accent. I actually was identified. Somebody says, you're from Minnesota, aren't you? And I just smiled and I said, no, much better, Wisconsin. Anyway, so um, all that to say is this gal said, where where have you guys been? We told her where. And she said, have you been to Anna Maria Island? And I'm like, no. She said, it's my absolute favorite place. You should go. So God used this gal at TJ Maxx to get our family to go consider this beach. And it was about two hours away from where we were staying. And so put it in the GPS. And it's actually this island. It's got multiple beaches. And so we were completely undecided where we were going to go. We just loaded up the car and went. And um, we actually saw this one beach on the GPS. I said, honey, let's just try this out. We get there. It's pretty busy, but fairly decent. And what's unique about this beach was about 10 feet in from here to maybe the front row here, it drops off. And when it drops off from about the length of the sanctuary, it drops off to at least 10, 12 feet because we couldn't get to the bottom. And then it goes up to a sandbar. So I, I got the boys with these styrofoam boogie boards, and we're out there having fun. And I hear somebody say, are you all right? And he's about 50 feet that way. And he's looking this direction. And I look back behind me about 30 feet this way, and there's a lady drowning. And in me, I go, are you all right? And there's no response, and she starts taking in water. So immediately, I look at him, and I say, I got her. I go back. And by the time I'm friends, I'm telling you, if God had not orchestrated the events that day, I'm convinced the woman would have drowned. She was just seconds away from going under. Just thank you. And we got to the shore. She thanked me 18 times. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All their family came by. And all I was doing was thinking in the physical. And all I could get out in that moment, because I was not prepared, I said to her, it looks like God wants you to live another day. So she goes and sits down, and she takes off, and there's something that sat wrong in my stomach. You know what it was? I was thinking about a physical vacation with my family, and I missed a golden opportunity to talk to a woman who almost died about the Savior. So we went back to the hotel room. Next morning, we got in the car. I said, kids, I think we need to ask God to show us today who he has in store. So... We prayed and asked God. We found a different beach down the way of the island. We get out there, and it's super quiet. It's us, another couple, and another gal. And I thought they were all connected and friends. And uh, all that to say is we were out there swimming, and I was finding shells with my, my girls. And Anya's very observant. And she goes, what is that? What do you mean? And we look about, out about 150 yards, and immediately I went, oh, no. It looked like a floating body out there. And my heart sank, and back in my Chicago days, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what? what? How, how is this? So I throw Nate on my shoulders. He's like, Dad, it looks like a head just hanging close to the surface. This is scary. And then all of a sudden, this other couple come and stand near us, and this other lady come to stand near us, and now we've got a community of people trying to go, what is this? And we just sat there and watched for probably about 20 minutes as this thing got closer and closer and closer until the gentleman next to me chuckled. He goes, it's a coconut. It was a coconut with the husk. It was this coconut, actually. And um, we all laughed about it. He tossed it to my son, Judah, and he peeled it, and the kids drank from it and things like that. And then I made a joke about, you know, back in my Chicago days, 
that's that you, because of the, the, the corruption in Chicago, man, you'd expect that was a human being. He goes, you live in Chicago? He said, we're from Illinois. The other gal said, I'm not with them, but we're, I'm from Chicago. Here we are, three people that were actually uh, born and raised in Illinois. And uh, I want to say two hours later, we were talking and they shared about a recent loss of a child, a friend of theirs with her, uh, who has a 10-year-old who, who died of a brain tumor two days before. And we got talking about death and about how this gal almost lost her life swimming. And God put me in the right place. Honestly, I'm not even that great of a swimmer. I just happened to have a board and in the right place, right? And uh, during that time, God introduced us to new friends. And I got to share the good news of Jesus and how he died and he rose again for us and how we can be confident that when we die, we will be with him forever by trusting in his death and resurrection. I got a chance to walk him through John 3. In fact, I hope they're listening today. And uh, I sat there in amazement how God could orchestrate. And he made a comment. He said, maybe God orchestrated events that you'd be here today to talk about the Bible with us. And... Um, we actually greeted each other and said goodbye and uh, found them on Facebook and we're inter- interacting. And I, honestly, I'm hoping they, they make their way up here and to come visit us and get a chance to introduce you to them. But you know how I got a chance to talk to them? God used a coconut. God used a sales clerk at TJ Maxx. God used the physical things of life to accomplish his spiritual purposes. Friends, if God can use the physical things in life to accomplish his physical purposes on my vacation, he can do it in your life as well. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this, we fix our eyes not in what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Do you have a hard heart? Stop dwelling on the unpleasant physical circumstances. And I want to encourage you to turn your hearts and your minds towards seeking what God is doing spiritually in and through you today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, working in our physical world. What a delight to know that you have not created this world and just left it, but you're involved And you have orchestrated and worked in our physical world to bring us the Messiah, Jesus, that we may have eternal life through him. Thank you for still working in our lives. That you use sales clerks, that you use coconuts to work in our lives, to bring us into spiritual purposes that you have for us. Lord, you're using things like masks, You're using things like coronavirus. You're using things like election year. You're using all these physical circumstances to point us to a love-trust relationship with you. May we as a body so love you and so trust you that when, when the world sees us, they say there is a God and we can trust him. Lord, as we turn our hearts right now towards the celebration of your death and resurrection, May you receive this time of praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.